0: Hello and welcome to the Help My Wealth podcast Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Help My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Hi, welcome. Welcome back to the Hot World Wealth Podcast, Money Rules, Money Rules. I am your host, Stephen Logan, and with me as always is Hamish Ferguson. Hamish, thank you for coming.
1: You're welcome, Steve. Anytime. <laughs>
0: Great. And with us, our special guest today is Tracy Lynch. Tracy Lynch is a well-respected therapist with over 30 years' experience in trauma-informed psychotherapy. Tracy now specialises in EMDR intensive therapy and is accredited as both an EMDR therapist and supervisor and has taught EMDR here in EMDR Tools here in Australia and overseas. Tracy also spends every second week in Negabar Country in Burke using EMDR therapy in an Indigenous family violence clinic. And Tracy is also the founding owner and clinical director of the Thrive Wellness Hub, where she mentors and supervises other counsellors. Mm. On top of all of this, Tracy is also a published author and has her own podcast called Understanding EMDR. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> well done. Well done.
0: <laughs> I got through it okay. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Um, as a person of Aboriginal heritage, Tracy has offered to do the Acknowledgement of Country for us. So, Tracy, please take it away.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Steve. So, on the land on which we meet tonight, the, the land of the Waramai and Awabakal people, we'd like to acknowledge our Elders, past, present and emerging. Mm. Um, I myself am a Wiradjuri woman, so I'd also like to acknowledge my Wiradjuri Elders And, yeah, we pay respects to culture, heritage and all things First Nations.
0: Fantastic. Thank you.
2: So I've already had
0: troubles trying to, you know, get out the whole, uh, you know, uh, EDMR continuously in that that last sentence. But please explain to our listeners what is EMDR?
2: Sure. It is firstly a mouthful, so you've done well. So (laughs) EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitisation and reprocessing. So EMDR is a clinical... Um, tool that has evidence-based research, lots and lots of evidence-based research behind it, Um, it started to be most well-known with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been around since the 70s and Francine Shapiro, who is the founder of EMDR therapy, really became known by using uh, EMDR with return service vets Um, people who were having nightmares, flashbacks, um, who felt that the trauma of war came home with them Mm -hmm. and it was almost stuck in their nervous system. Mm -hmm. So EMDR has now gone on to be used for a range of many different mental health issues and it really is a way that we can unlock stuck trauma that has become almost wedged in our nervous system and then gets woken up because of triggers mm. in our life. Mm. Yeah. And so
0: what made you decide, okay, this is the, you know, there's obviously lots of different therapies that you can use as a, as a psychotherapist. Yep. What made you go, right, this is the one that I'm going to use, but not just that, I'm not going to just use it, I'm going to teach it, I'm going to actually, you know, get involved and, and learn about it and, be, and become an, an expert in that field?
2: Yeah, so I was already um, in the counselling psychotherapy industry for um, 20 years before I found EMDR, Mm. and I felt like I was able to make, you know, a substantial difference in supporting people in their journey with trauma, Um, but I feel like EMDR actually is a game changer. Mm. So EMDR processes trauma that is stuck in our system whereas mm. a lot of other therapies help people manage it mm. or help people understand how to talk about it differently reframe it cognitive behavioral therapy different ways to think about it whereas emdr actually helps our brain metabolize the trauma and i've never seen anything like it um and so when i can sit with people and help them help their brain to dissolve their trauma that's um, why Why wouldn't anyone want to be an EMDR therapist? Mm. And so your podcast, yeah.
0: Understanding uh, EMDR, mm-hmm. uh, is that for just th- therapists, other therapists? Is it more of a professional podcast or is it actually for the average person to listen to as well?
2: Um, it is predominantly for EMDR therapists because we're talking in pretty technical terms. Um, but I have been given feedback that there are a lot of people that are interested in understanding their own trauma better Mm. who are jumping on and listening and they're they're getting some takeaways as well
1: Mm. from it. And for the listeners now... The listeners out there that can't actually see this video, um, I can see the passion in your face as you're just talking about it. You know, yeah. after, you know, what's been years of being involved in it, it's it's obviously cl- really close to your heart, isn't
2: it? 100%, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually see it making a massive change in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So people that have had significant um Trauma stories, trauma histories, mm. that and and the legacy of trauma has got in the way of them having relationships, mm. or has been accompanied by addictions, or has been accompanied with major anxiety disorders or depressed depressive disorders. To be able to no longer have that trauma as a focus in their life mm. is um, is yeah, it feels like. I've been given a gift that I can then help others, mm. you know, uh, with, yeah. And
1: is it is there a way you can explain to us and the listeners, I guess, where does eye movement come into it? Like is, yeah. is, is that a easy yeah. thing to explain or not really?
2: I'll give it a crack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, Tracy is a well-known biologist. (laughs) 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 Okay, so I'm going to try and break this down. It's quite a complex answer. Um, Two ways to simply understand it is the first one is our body naturally knows that Um, Bilateral eye movement, left, right, left, right, left, right, can help the brain digest trauma. So we all do it naturally when we go to sleep every night. Mm -hmm. So when we're asleep Mm -hmm. and we are in the deep uh, REM cycle, uh, cycle, Mm -hmm. we are indeed doing rapid eye movement. That's Mm -hmm. what REM stands for. And... When we're in REM sleep, our eyes behind our eyelids are they're not actually going up and down. They're actually very slightly going left, right, left, right, left, right. So in part of our brain is the amygdala. That's our fight or flight um, survival brain. And when things happen that overwhelm our nervous system, Information can get stuck in our amygdala. Mm. Across the brainstem, on the other side of our brain, is the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is the part of our brain which where we store memory, but it has no affect left mm. to it. So I can look back and say that was a horrible car accident. Um, I wish it didn't happen, but I'm not having a panic attack mm. when I'm thinking I'm not about like you're in the accident. <clears throat> It feels like it's in the past, mm. yeah? So the hippocampus is the the library of stored memory that is done and dusted, yeah? So our very cleverly designed brain, when we're asleep, is running a movie, is running a dream that will often have metaphors of unprocessed trauma in mm. it and then is using our eyes to start pulling information out of our amygdala across the brainstem into the hippocampus to try and to resolve, to dissolve the trauma that is stuck in the amygdala. Okay. But we don't, um, there's so much that our brain has to process every day mm. more than ever before. That it doesn't get time to properly deal with everything that's in there. And then there's going to be some events that happen that cause such an overwhelm of the nervous system that stuff, material gets stuck. It gets stuck as either images, um, feelings, and then beliefs. Mm. So it's it, 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 it stuck there either as all three, the car accident, the emotions that go with the car accident and the belief of I'm not safe when I get into a car. Mm-hmm. That can get stuck in our nervous system. So eye movement, um, we, we, people physically follow my fingers with their eyes with a whole lot of other protocols that are wrapped around that will actually help their brain to get distance from the event that's stuck. So that's the Mm desensitisation. So rather than it being very sensitive material, the brain uh, is able to metabolise and dissolve the trauma and move it into the hippocampus. We can actually see under MRI scans that after a client has done EMDR and they think about, for example, that car accident, that that rape, that sexual assault, that when they think about it, the material has moved in their brain. We can see that it is now sitting in a different part of their brain after several sessions of EMDR therapy.
0: And it's just, I mean, that whole yeah. idea of being able to still remember what happened but it better not affect you is whats is, is what you're after, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, I wish I could forget that. Mm-hmm. But that's not something that actually is, is really good for you. No. Um But to be able to go, no, that occurred, that car accident occurred, you know, whatever violent history occurred, but, to, but to, for it not to have that anxiety that's effect right. and, to, and to, you know, that you don't feel like you're actually there in that situation is what, uh, you know, makes it, makes it effective.
2: Hundred percent. So a real sense of it happened, it was horrible, but it is over. Yeah. And it no longer is impacting my life or my relationships or yeah. What you're doing. Yeah. Look, another thing I
0: wanted to talk to you about, another big part of your professional life is is mentoring. And at Help My Wealth, we're we're very big on mentoring. Yeah. So, you know, for many years you worked as a psychotherapist yourself and then now you've moved into uh, doing, you know, much more mentoring than what you have in the past. How did that transition sort of happen for you?
2: Um, So I think it happened in two ways. I feel like I got to a point about three years ago where my trauma cup was full of (laughs) and overflowing (laughs) and I felt that, I needed to um, reinvent myself Mm. in a way that for me to be able to stay in the industry, Mm. that I needed to step back from face-to-face trauma work Mm. being my core business. Mm. Um, I felt that I had sat under some amazing mentors um, and once I completed all of my EMDR training, which then matched up beautifully with a whole lot of other training that I'd done over the years, that I felt like I was now in a position to mentor and guide newer therapists.
0: Yeah. 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 And um, and so now you've got to point, like, what, what percentage of your time now is spent uh, mentoring compared to actually you've, you've gone back into trauma work, yep. uh, face-to-face work?
2: Yeah. Um, so... This year would be the first time that I can say that I am not seeing clients in Newcastle, mm. so I don't see clients in Newcastle. I only do uh, online predominantly mm. supervision and mentoring when I'm back in Newcastle, and my clinical work is contained to two days in Burke, working mm. in the Indigenous Family Violence Clinic where I am. Yeah. How,
0: how has that been working into that, you know, Family Violence Clinic?
2: Well, well, how long have we got? So <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yes, I've been there a year now. Yep. So it's a fly-in, fly-out job. So, in fact, tomorrow I head off again, yep. drive five hours to four and a half hours to Dubbo and yep. then stay overnight and then fly up to Burke, yep. and then have to really full-on days in clinic. So Burke itself is an incredible community um, with a very um, rich history of both strength stories and horrible, horrible intergenerational complex trauma stories. Mm. Um, Burke itself is um, an incredible community and there's some incredible people there alongside of um Extensive family violence, ICE ice is very predominant up there mm. um, and it, people who have very little access to the resources that we have in the city. Mm. Um, so it's very challenging work. And yeah. are, are they... Um I mean, I would assume
0: Burke would find it hard to get GPs. They would find it hard to get, yeah. you know, any, any sort of professional up there. Um, yeah. Are they aware of, of your history and, and that you're not just someone who's just doing the job for a bit of fun on the side, that this is actually something you have, you know, quite passionate about? Um,
2: I think so, yeah. I think they're definitely, the, the mob that I work with, I'm aware that I am myself a jury woman and that generational trauma and the injustice to First Nations people is something that is very much a part of my purpose. Mm. Supporting supporting people alongside of that, um, you're right. Like I am the only face to face therapist in Burke. Mm. Um, at, like probably, the,
0: probably that, for hundreds of kilometres around.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, be the closest would be Dubbo. Yeah. Um, people can access telehealth, mm. but that's not always culturally relevant. Mm. Um, And, yeah, there's a a committed squad of fly-in, fly-out allied health people um, that I've gotten to know over the year that are an incredible community in itself. Mm. And there's also some incredible people on the ground up there. So I work alongside of five amazing caseworkers in the clinic um, who are some of the best people I've ever met.
0: Yeah. 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 And I'm assuming you're doing mentoring with them as well?
2: Yeah, I am. I We have some time in the schedule. At the end of my two days I sit and do some training with them yeah. and just try and get alongside of them where I can. Um, a lot of them juggle their own trauma stories. Mm. So working in this space can be quite triggering for them because they've all got their own Everyone's got their own baggage. Like all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We don't ever want to get started on Hamish's baggage. No, 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 no.
0: (laughs) Look, when it comes to mentoring, um, you know, one of the things I've often found is that uh, psychotherapists and and people in that sort of social work counselling field see that as being uh, imperative. You know, uh, you sort of have to have a mentor, don't you? Um, But it's funny, it doesn't tend to often flow into other areas of life. Like if you're a sports person, yes, you have a mentor and you have a coach, you know, if you're a, a psychotherapist. Yes, you have to have a mentor. We all want all of our psychotherapists to have mentors. You know, if you've got a, a, a surgeon, you want them to have someone they can talk to, who's there, their mentor. Yep. But then, when it comes to the average person, it's a bit like I, I, I don't I don't really need anyone. I've got my mate Joe. Joe's pretty good. Yeah, he gives me a bit of advice. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts around that? In just in regards to the
2: community? Oh uh, yeah. Um. So definitely for people like. Counselors, social workers, psychologists, psychotherapists, we are mandated. I can't mm. keep my license mm. if I don't, if I'm not having regular supervision. We call it mm. supervision mentoring. Um, I guess one of the ways that I like to look at it is that when I think about you guys or anyone in the general public, you are the heroes in your own story. Mm. You're the heroes. Mm. And every hero at times in their journey will need a guide. Mm. Yeah, and so, and there are certain guides that are specialists in their field, mm. and so it really should be why why not why not access those people mm. that have specialised in that field to help you with that part of your hero's journey to be able to overcome, um, have options, face challenges with people that are more experienced in that sector than I am. <sighs>
0: You worded that so perfectly I'm, I'm going to have to steal that at some point. Mm. I will at least refer to you once, you know, but then after that it will be, it'll be my, my my journey.
2: Well, it would be wrong of me if I didn't let you know that that's from one of my favourite books. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my favourite books called um, the, the the Story Brand. It's actually a marketing book um, and it, it really talks to the fact that Every good story, every good movie, has a hero that mm. has a challenge, mm. that finds a guide, mm. that overcomes, and mm. then goes on to live a life that they're much more equipped for. Mm. Yeah, a story brand.
1: So if I can go backwards a step, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm intrigued a little bit because, okay, so you've you've agreed to go out to Burke, mm-hmm. right? So and and I'm guessing you don't have much of a history with Burke prior to this.
2: Um, not, not really. No, I have more of a history Dubbo, yep. which okay. is still a five-hour drive from mm. Burke. But yeah.
1: So you, you, you enter this community, yes. right, with very little relationship. Culture, yes, but not relationship. So, mm-hmm. um... You know, how, how did you go about that that journey of not just, um, you know, building trust with mm. the local people but also, you know, it sounds like almost encouraging them to take on this mentorship type philosophy to say, you know, um, mm. there are other people that can help you. Yeah. So yeah. What did that look like in that first three to six months?
2: Mm, good question. So for me it was all about building relationship. Mm. Yep. So, um, yes, I am am someone who knows a lot about trauma and I am someone who knows a lot about EMDR. Um, But whether it be the case managers or my clients, they are the heroes. They're Mm. the heroes. And so really wanting to connect with them in a humble way that honours them as the experts in their story Mm -hmm. rather than me being the expert in their story because indeed I'm not the expert in their story. Um, So what I know about working in community is it's very much all about relationship Mm -hmm. and very much all about um, being able to connect with that one individual in a way that feels authentic and um, relatable to what is going on for them in their life and very much refraining from being the white expert that comes in to offer the goods. And I am, yes, I am a woman of white privilege. I also am a woman of Indigenous history, but I don't look like that mm. on the, on the, on, at face value Um, So, yeah, really wanting to be aware of the privilege that I bring into that community and, and, and try and put that aside as much as I can and just be with that human that's in mm. front of me.
1: And even that, look, you know, and I, I really appreciate how you've put that. So but even like, you know, what we see when you, you talk to different people of Aboriginal descent, right, yeah. is that there can also be some very, um, this, I don't know if rivalry is the right word, but just, just because you're of that culture doesn't mean each tribe is going to have the same level of trust. Would, yeah. would you agree with that statement or?
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, every mob... Um, has their own language, their own customs. Every mob has their own trauma stories, some mm. that have similar resonance, some that are very different. Mm. Um, but I find that if if I'm able to go there and be open to learning from them mm. and seeing them as the heroes in this story, then it feels like some of that protectivism can be broken down fairly quickly. Mm, okay. Yeah.
0: After being there now for 12 months or, or longer, do you feel like that you're getting acceptance there from the community, that people actually are, are acknowledging, you know, who you are and, and the work that you're doing there? Or do you feel still find this resistance in some parts?
2: Um, no, I personally haven't actually found much resistance even from the start. Mm. Um, um, I fairly quickly connected with a number of the elders yep. on Ningamba Country and sought their permission to be there yep. and also permission from my elders to yep. be working on Nyingenbaa Country. And so being aware of and following those sort of protocols, I think, is really, yep. really useful. Yep. Um, and I just... I feel like one of the things that my age and experience has brought me is the ability to, to connect where people are at. I've become a much better swearer. <laughs> um, I'm proficient in um, a lot, like, and, and that is culturally appropriate. Yeah. And so, like, it's about tuning in to, mm-hmm. to the language that is is useful mm-hmm. and um, and really... Wanting really going in as a learner as Mm. much as a guide.
0: And I guess what I'm hearing a lot when I when I hear you talk and, and hear your stories is is that that deep respect that you have for the person. Yeah. You know, whether it's a Indigenous person in Burke, or whether it's a, a person you know online, or whether it's one of your own counsellors, but that whole concept that you as a counsellor are not here to save the day, uh, that you're not yeah. here to be the hero, that you're actually the one that, to walk alongside and empower them. And mm-hmm. I would imagine that um, that base level of respect, that deep level of respect, is, actually goes a long way in helping you to be able to help your clients.
2: Yeah, and that actually comes back, circling back around to the question that Hamish asked me before about Mm -hmm. how does EMDR work and one of the things that I love about EMDR is there is a principle in EMDR that all of us have an innate healing capacity that is within us. So just like if I cut myself, my body knows how to heal. Um, Under the right circumstances our body knows how to dissolve stuck trauma Mm -hmm. and one of those circumstances is being very aware of our strength stories aware of what's called adaptive information not just aware of maladaptive so maladaptive is the the negative stuff adaptive is our strength stories is our resources yeah and so whether it whether I'm working on Ningibar Country or with one of my new therapists that's coming through, I feel like as a guide, part of my role is to wake up the good gear mm. in that person, to wake up their strength stories. Mm. And once those strength stories are online and are accessible, they will then become an ally in dissolving the the yucky stuff. Mm. Mm. So their system can do it way more proficiently than I can, but mm. I have to remind their system that they have it within themselves
1: to do it. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, and I don't know if this is an appropriate moment to make a light comment, but you know, uh, if the one thing I've taken away is when next time my wife says you really are an emotional void, all right, I'm just going to say, no, no, I've got a very efficient pathway to the hippocampus. That's that's all I'm going to really say, you know. Exactly.
2: Exactly. It may be covered in grey clouds, but nevertheless, it is there. It is there. I'm
0: always very worried when he says this may be not the appropriate time to say something. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy, <laughs> yeah. for, for those of you that, that don't know you, I'd have to say you're one of the most uh, well-travelled people that I know uh, and through your life you've had, you know, varied roles and, and experiences and you've been working with um, underprivileged people and underprivileged people groups for, for quite a long time. Working mm-hmm. in Burke is, is your current role but in the past you, you've done that um, quite a lot extensively elsewhere. Yep. Um, I just wanted to ask, are you happy to share any of those sort of stories?
2: Oh, sure. Um, So um, I have, yeah, it's been um, 30 years now that I've been working in the helping industry Mm. Um, and some of that has been overseas uh, with my husband who also works in a community development organisation. He Mm. works in that capacity. Um, And... Yeah, one of my favourite memories was working in orphanages in Indonesia Mm -hmm. um, and working with children and their trauma stories. Um, So that was a real privilege to do that.
0: Were you a therapist at the time or was that before you started doing that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was
0: a therapist at the time. Yeah, and again, you've worked in India and you've worked in other countries. Were you doing therapy in all those places or...? Um,
2: Some, probably not EMDR. So EMDR is only something that I... the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, But uh, definitely... Therapy in different sort of capacities mm. um, in those different countries. Mm.
0: Yeah. And how have you found, uh, you know, coming from, I uh, often find when I talk to people that work uh, with underprivileged groups around the world, uh, you know, going from uh, the slums of India or going from, you know, uh, a backwater village in Indonesia and then coming back to Australia yep. can be quite a cultural shock for you. How do you sort of marry that up with with the life that you sort of, the privileged life that we all lead?
2: Yeah. Um, well... Um, in the early days, uh, it wasn't so easy. So when Simon and I spent a, a good chunk of time in Delhi and were living amongst very, very mm. poor and confronting circumstances um, and when we came back after that experience, it took us like about six months to to not feel guilty when we turned the shower on mm. um, and really... Really taking time to process uh, all of that and what that means for us. It, it, it wasn't an easy. It wasn't an easy transition.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I think because Simon and I both do come and go a lot now, mm. it feels like over time we've adjusted. Yep. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,
0: look on that. You've got three children. Mm. Um, how, how have you? I mean, it's a really hard thing, I think, to try and get children to understand the privilege that they've grown up with, because they've grown up with it. They've, yep. they've seen. Do you know yep. how have you gone about trying to help uh, both your children and others in the community to understand underprivileged groups, either in Australia or overseas that you've that you've dealt with?
2: Um, I think I think we've both, Simon and I, have both tried to expose our kids mm. to other people's lives um, in terms of and helping them to realise that what we have in Australia is not what everyone has. So mm. taking them with us on on some of our trips um, and making it a part of our conversations mm. and hopefully helping them to be curious about other people's lives mm. and um, and be being thankful about what we have and encouraging them to share what they have in ways that are contextually appropriate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and do you feel that, um, you know, the average Australian sort of understands the privilege they have or do you feel that most of us just don't don't get the difference between, you know, other groups in the world and, and ourselves or even other groups in Australia and ourselves?
2: Yeah. Um, I believe we have a long way to go. Mm. I believe that as uh, as Australians who many of us who, the, you know, the, the conversation around privilege, pe- I find that people can often go to a place of defensiveness fairly yes. quickly mm, yes. um, because privilege is not just about having all the best cars and houses and it's, it's about having choices. Privilege mm. is about being able to, like, access to education, access to running water, access to... Um, to healthcare. Hospitals, healthcare, yeah, yeah. councils, councillors, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think we have to go very far. Like it, even just up the road in Burke, mm. um, what we have here in Newcastle compared to what the community in Burke has is like a different country. Mm. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah. It's interesting you bring up the word privilege and, and, you know, more from a psychotherapist point of view, you might have some commentary around this, but, you know, one of the things I find hard these days with society is when we turn a word like that into almost um, a weapon and, 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 you know, it's used in attack on somebody. So it is a defensive mechanism, but quite often in the media, it's an attack mechanism as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I, I wonder even if the average person just knows how to process that information sometimes, you know, when yep. we've all got our own stories and journey yes. and we don't know, you know, oh, you've just thrown that at me but what do I do with it? You yeah. know, Does that make sense? Yeah, or
2: yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you're right, Hamish, and I think it's about sometimes for me it's been a willingness to lean into the discomfort, yeah, yeah because I have two options when people... Bring things up with me. I can straight away go, oh, that feels uncomfortable, and I'm just going to shut it down, or I'm going to move into avoidance or defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and more and more these days, I, when I get that, like, body sensation of, oh, like that feels uncomfortable. More and more, I'm trying to sit with curiosity around that and openness to explore. Why that makes me feel that way, mm-hmm. uh, and be open to sit with the discomfort rather than try and avoid the discomfort. And I think
0: um, for for a lot of Australians, we don't like the idea of saying that we're privileged. Yeah, it's that almost that thing we, we've got to be the underdog. We've got to you know put ourselves down or in some way. And I, I heard Melinda Gates one talk as one of the richest women in the world. You know and she said I, I can tell you this at-, at whatever level of wealth you have there's always someone that has more there's always someone you can say no they're more privileged than I am yeah and and she was trying to put back to the to the people she was talking to was saying um, in the same way there's always people that are less privileged than you mm. it's not about saying that you are the most privileged person in Australia or in your community, yeah. but to get an understanding that 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 you've been blessed with what you have, mm. and there are others that haven't, and and. And that is a privilege just by itself, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's always going to be someone that has more than you. Even yeah. Melinda Gates, there's people that have more than her. Yep. And actually being okay with that to say, but no, I, I, I am privileged, yeah. you know, and how do I then, uh, you know, transfer that to other communities or other people, even people in the same neighbourhood as you that, that aren't as privileged as you are? Mm.
2: Yeah, I guess for me the word equity also comes mm. up there. So um just by nature of how big, how big our country is, um, there is going to be people that mm. have more privilege to resources mm. than others. Mm. Um, and and yeah, so it's 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 a complex issue mm. and I also don't like how concepts can be weaponized because mm. I actually think that that does, way more harm and once we feel like we are being targeted, Mm -hmm. um, it, we, we, we as humans, will tend to, we're activating the amygdala then mm. and when we're activating the, the amygdala, our body feels that like we are under attack and mm. we go into that fight or flight mechanism mm. where we can't be curious, we can't be uh. um, open, we can't be reflective. We, we physiologically can't do those things when we feel like we're under attack. So people that weaponize some of these concepts I think are not doing themselves much of a service because if we're trying to invite people to a more open, curious stance, we need to be very mindful about our language mm. and it promoting open, curious discussions rather than discussions that will just lead to shut down and digging in of mm. heels. Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about while you've been talking as well is, you know, um, as, as a person in Newcastle, uh, you know, we don't, um, we're not exposed to some of these areas like Burke very often. Yeah. Right? So, and, you know, it's interesting in the sense that, you know, you, you talk about Burke and all of a sudden I go, oh, So it's not just Alice Springs where this is going on, all right, or it's not just the Northern Territory. Mm. And now now you're talking about New South Wales and and then I'm sure you could go, well, it's not just Burke. it's here, it's there, it's all of these other places as well that are Mm. experiencing, you know, those same levels of um, just, you know, um, acknowledgement in terms of what they're going through, if if that makes sense.
2: 100%. Like really, like there is a massive gap in our Community Mm. amongst those that have um, safety; Mm. those that feel that they like, even here in Newcastle, I know of of uh, Indigenous mob that will go to a pub for lunch and get looked at as if right, watch out for the Mm. watch out for them, or or the police will walk into the you know you know police will walk in and target those. First Nations people just because they're sitting in a pub having lunch because there's a whole lot of prejudice and um, and potential fear, um, misunderstanding, and we would just go to a pub and sit down and have lunch and think nothing of it. Um, and, you know, like, so, yeah, it's a complex issue and I definitely don't have all the answers, but I would hope that we potentially can remain open and curious Mm. to understanding in different ways. I think that's the key,
0: isn't it, being open and curious, because I think too often the media uh, and the political arena want us to choose a side.
2: Yes.
0: And then we have to defend that to the end rather than actually holding it in our hands loosely and going, where do I sit here? You know, where do I sit with this story? Where do I sit with that story? Rather than saying I'm on this side or I'm on that side, you know?
2: Yeah. And one of the things that my work in the trauma-informed field has informed me about is always having the question within me, I wonder what's happened for that person Mm. rather than what is wrong with that person. Mm. You know, and that goes for all of us. Like what has happened for us that has informed who we are in this moment yep. rather than what is wrong with, mm, with you that. know, with that. Yeah. Know. So, look, if you bring
0: that together and, and your work with um, the Indigenous people in Australia and, and with other underprivileged groups around the world, mm. how, how does that um, change the way you view success? Mm, good you question. Know, like, you know, 18-year-old... Yep. Tracy, how does she view success compared to the way you do now with the experience you've had?
2: Yeah. 18 year old Tracy has been through many a transformation. Yes. Um, and I, I was listening to a podcast that you guys did with my very good friend, if mm-hmm. not best friend, Tony Knight, recently. And she talked a lot about values mm-hmm. and how, you know, so there are some of the values of 18-year-old Tracy that still remain the same and Mm. have deepened and grown. Um, But success for me now is um, is about understanding what success means to all the parts of me, Mm. not just one or two parts. Mm. So success for me is about really understanding what and why my values are. Um, And leaning into those values, that Mm. is a measure of success for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Even when it is scary Mm. or or uncomfortable. Mm. Because as we age, I think we tend to try and become more comfortable. Um, And so one of the reasons, one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that I took on Burke is that I knew it was going to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my values is to lean into discomfort, not away from it. Yeah,
0: I don't think there's too many people that actually go out of their way to uh, create discomfort in their life. Yeah, maybe more of us should do that. Mm.
2: Well, I mean, if we if we if we tiptoe from the you know cradle to the grave, and we try and navigate around all types of discomfort, um, I believe that that doesn't grow our resilience mm. um, and it doesn't help us to understand uh, ourselves in a way that we can under- understand ourselves when at times we choose to lean into discomfort. Mm.
1: But it's interesting, like, you know, we, you've, you've asked the question, Steve, about what is success, right, and now we're talking about values and, and, and you know, to me... Yeah, you know, the problem is, you know, for a lot of us, the 18-year-old says, well, success is about coming first mm-hmm. or it's about winning, all mm-hmm. right? So, and then, you know, as we... Lean into things like, and for us, that journey's been around foster care, all right? So it's realizing that. Well, wait a second. This this definition of success gets quite murky over time, doesn't Mm. it? In terms of really having to challenge yourself when you're in that in that moment where you sort of go, okay, I'm really not enjoying myself at this moment. Like, and it might not be that it's unsuccessful. It might be just the level of discomfort is quite significant. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, and and you know, but that journey to push through. That's right. Knowing that it, well, success is also about myself continuing to grow and what I get out of this, not from necessarily a selfish perspective, but just that pursuit of understanding. To, I don't know, yeah. did I, have I made sense there? Or Yeah, yeah,
2: um, 100%. And I think it's really worth, like for my 18-year-old self, success was all about flying under the radar,
1: Mm, okay.
2: Right? So and that was based on my childhood stories, mm. yeah, my that all of us will bring um, core beliefs mm. um, and uh, it, psychotherapy babble, we call them schemas, so mm. we bring schemas, core beliefs, ways of being out of our childhood. And one of those for me was don't stand out. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't, like, don't rock the boat. Um, Lay low because if you stand out, there's a good chance that people won't like you. Mm -hmm. And so it's much safer just to lay low. Mm -hmm. And so for my 18-year-old, like for some 18-year-olds, their level of success will be be the leader, Mm. you know what I mean? Maybe they've got an unrelenting standard schema that's running, you know Mm. what I mean? So they're going to be, that's a success for them. Um, But for other people, like we have to really question what, yeah, what is is success because it won't be the same for everybody.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. So I, I wanted to bring you back around to your business. Yes. So here you are, you're, you're an author, you're, you're teaching and lecturing, um, you know, on, on psychotherapy and, and in some ways with, with EMDR. Yep. Um You're going out to Bourke, uh, you've got three kids, you've got a husband, but you've also got this business that you're running here in Newcastle, which is the, which is the Wellness Hub. Yeah. Uh, how do you manage all of these things? How do you bring that together to ensure that Tracy doesn't fall apart?
2: Yeah, Um, well, um, as you mentioned before, some of it has been about really great mentoring. Um, I have a great team around me. I don't do all of this by myself. Um, I've been able to outsource what I am crap at (laughs) as much as possible (laughs) um, and not spend time doing stuff that I'm not passionate about, that I'm not good at, Mm -hmm. and and outsource that to people who are experts at that. Mm. So it's freed me up to do things that I can do well. Mm. Yeah.
0: So I would assume business administration and finances and that's it's, it's maybe stuff that you can do, but probably not stuff you're passionate
2: about. Um, stuff that I'm not necessarily passionate about and not skilled at. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not skilled at.
0: Yeah. And so actually getting the right people for the right jobs has, has been what's allowed you to uh, be passionate and go into the areas that you can go into. Yes. Yeah. 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 So who are the sort of people that you've brought around you to actually help do that?
2: Um, so, well... I uh, Simon, my partner, is very, he's great at sort of that sort of detailed sort of finance um, game Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that at times we've consulted with Hamish and his crew here Mm -hmm. as well. Um, My admin manager who, like, she is the backbone of Thrive Mm. Wellness Hub Um, and... Yeah, she like she has been someone that is able to get my vision happening. Yes. So I am quite an entrepreneur. Mm. I like shiny things, um, <laughs> and I will often go after <laughs> shiny things. Yes. And I can pull off a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, but I'm not necessarily great at maintaining the shiny things. Yes. So I need to have people in place that po- that can have. Um, systems mm-hmm. to maintain the shiny things.
0: I heard someone yeah. say that a really good entrepreneur needs to have two or three sweepers behind them. <laughs> yeah. You know, so they can. Oh, we're doing this now. We're doing this now. We're doing this now. and they're on to the next thing, and there's people yeah. behind them going, "I'm, I'm holding up." This shiny thing that you started, you know, you're like, good, you're doing a good job, that's what I wanted you to do. Yeah. But I think that's really important because people often see um, someone being successful in business and successful in their chosen field and they think that they're doing it all, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I think that I I wanted to get across that that's not something that you do, do you know what I mean, that you're being really good at going I'm passionate about this. I want to do this, yeah. but I need other people in my business to actually make that work.
2: Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah.
0: How, how did you get to that point? Was there a time when you were doing it all yourself, and then you finally said, "I, I can't do this," because yeah. you know, if you go from being a, a one man band where it was just Tracy counselling someone who turned up at a door, yeah. compared to now where you're, you're running the wellness hub, you're you know doing a podcast, you're authoring, you're flying out to Burke, yeah. um, there must have been a transition there.
2: Hundred percent. So there was a place where I felt like if I didn't stretch mm-hmm. and put someone else on to help me to manage all the things, that I would burn out. Yep. But again, it was a it was a stretch. It was it was it wasn't an easy decision to make. Um, it meant that I was going to have to um, cut some things so I could have money to employ someone else to be able to help manage everything. Mm. Um, but in all businesses i believe that we will reach a ceiling and if we aren't willing to stretch we will start to go backwards
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that's that's what i really wanted to wanted to focus on because too many people um, go from that small business, uh, whereas them, they run everything, they're in charge, they're doing it all. Yeah. And to move from that to the next level is quite a hard transition. Not everybody makes it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so for you, what what do you think was your greatest challenge to go from Tracy being counsellor by herself to Tracy
2: doing what you're doing now? So my greatest challenge was facing my childhood stories. Yeah. So one of my big times, this stuff about the schemers. The schemers. The schemers, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, re, like one of the big things that was playing out for me was don't put yourself out there. Like mm. it's it's like, you know, the, the imposter syndrome. Mm. Like I had to really go. You're through. not really that good, Tracy. That's what. You should be doing that. That's what those voices would say to yeah. me, Steve. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I was curious about those voices. Mm. Um, and realised that many of them were actually not my own. They were other people's voices. And I had to go back and do my own work with my own psychotherapist to face some of that stuff. When I got my first building in Hamilton and I had to put my name on the front door, Mm. um, that was really hard for me to Mm. actually... Put myself out there, mm. um, and I had to go back and do the soul track of my business. Because if you don't know, do the soul track of your business, then the business track is going to stop growing.
0: I imagine then starting a podcast would have been
1: hard.
2: Well, it was interesting. Sorry,
1: can I just ask? Go yeah. back, soul track versus business track. What do you mean by that?
2: Um, So I believe and I've seen it in my life that if we are not continuing to do our own emotional work, it will derail whatever else we put our hand to. Right. Yeah.
1: So I've got to pull some of that stuff back from the hippocampus then.
2: (laughs) I think we need to be willing to... Understand potentially why our business isn't growing. Yep. Or be like to be willing to see how we might be getting in the way. Yes. How our core beliefs might be getting in the way. Yes. And do the work to move that stuff that needs to be moved.
0: Mm, I think there's a lot of businesses out there where, you know, you think of a sales business, it's easy to go, little Johnny or little Sarah are not selling enough. You know they're not doing the the, the right work, but um, and, and part of that is is true. Mm-hmm. But if the owner isn't willing to actually step back and go, hang on, ha- how am I actually running this business? What am mm-hmm. I doing? You know, in the background there to actually make it grow. It's it's, it's never going to go past the level where it's at. So yeah. I, I'm I'm getting from what you're saying. If you don't have the right soul track, it'll it'll derail the business track. Is that what you're? Well,
2: it feels a little bit like if you look at a relationship. Um, there is, like, there's our communication within the relationship, there's our mm. intimacy within the relationship, there's there's a number of factors that make that relationship function well, yeah. the way we do conflict, right? Yeah. And if all of them aren't somewhat growing alongside of each other... Yes. ...then it's going to inhabit the growth of the whole relationship. Mm. Yes. So with our relationship with our business, mm. um, I've been w- always wanting to make sure that I'm not getting in the way of the growth of my business because of certain beliefs or certain ways of being, that I yeah. want to be really open to being curious about, okay, my business has stopped growing. Like how am I involved in that? Yes. What do I need to be curious about and explore so the business might be now be able to take the next step forward,
0: rather than blame, you know, certain aspects or, or issues or things yeah. within the business. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm, thank you. It's good.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, with your business, so um, you know, <coughs> where do you sort of see yourself going in the future with them? You know, you've got the hub, you've got, you've mm. got Burke, you've got podcast, you've got authorship.
2: Yeah. Yeah, great question. And and easy
0: power training.
2: Yeah, so the hub is in a beautiful position that it is fairly self-sustaining now, mm. and that's what I wanted it to be, because um, you know my my husband and I feel like we have potentially ten years of um, being able, like, to do have more adventures, mm. to take more risks. Mm. to, to um, yeah, we wanted to be financially in a position where we can still be bringing in an income but we're not tied to being in Newcastle, mm. yeah. So the hub is, is fairly self-sustaining in mm. you know? it. Uh, we, because I've got a great team on board um, and... Put
0: the right people in the right place. Right people,
2: right place. Um, we've got a good reputation in Newcastle mm. and it's humming over without me having to be nearly as involved as I was.
0: And, and how many different therapists and different you know clinicians do you have there? Uh,
2: 18. <coughs> 18. So they're not all full-time. Um, some of them are only there two days. Others mm. have like a room... A week, mm. um, but they are running their own businesses under the umbrella of Thrive, yep. um, and my mentorship, where it's required.
0: Mm. Mm. And mm. then, and then you guys are, are you know bringing that culture in, like you're talking about, making sure the culture in the business is actually staying where you want it to be, and, and yep. they're able to actually come in under that and use that.
2: That's right. Yeah, we're pretty particular about who makes up that team. Yeah. So not everybody that wants to work at Thrive is going to be a good fit for us or are we going to be a good fit for them? Yes. Yes.
1: And do you have other people in the business that are doing EMDR training or – Practicing?
2: Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. And so um, I've, because I have way more referrals coming to me mm. than I can personally see, or I'm, I'm not, and I'm not choosing to see clients in Newcastle at mm. this time, um, I wanted people that I can trust, that mm. I know how they work, that work in a similar way to me, so I can refer people onto my team. Mm um and feel like they're getting service that I can trust
1: and and alongside that business type question I'm guessing in an area like Newcastle um you know is EMDR training or oh, sorry practicing yeah. a, a common thing like was it is it has it been hard to find that group of people that that you can trust to to take on that work
2: Yeah, it's yeah. EMDR is becoming definitely more well known. So we've just had um, Miley Cyrus just came out last week to say that she has been on her own EMDR journey. Prince Harry, Mm -hmm. Um, it's becoming it. It's really becoming a therapy that a lot of GPs are referring uh, people to. Um, There is already a good handful of well, it's probably about there. Probably about about ten qualified EMDR therapists, psychologists who are in mm. Newcastle.
1: Okay.
2: Um, but yeah, wanting to make sure that we've got people at Thrive who I trust, who work with a similar philosophy mm. as I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So going
0: back to your eighteen-year-old self, yep. if you were going to give her some advice after you know your wealth of experience and everything you've done, what would you what would you say to her? So
2: my Simon, my husband mm-hmm. said that she should marry well. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you wouldn't be marrying Simon then.
2: <laughs> I would still marry Simon. Um, so first of all, I, there's a couple of a few things. So number one is I would tell her that um, that. She is incredible, mm. and that if she is able to lean into discomfort, mm. that she will be able to achieve more uh, in line with her values that she than she will ever imagine. Yeah. So that um, not to avoid discomfort, yeah, to lean in. Yeah, um, I would also then say to her, it's really important that you don't put your head in the sand about financial issues mm. that you feel like you don't understand or that feel they're not necessarily in alignment with in line with the shiny things that mm. that having a financial awareness is something that can support your dreams yes yeah Yes. Because I don't think my financial awareness came online until a lot later yep. than it should have.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like um, you said yourself it's not an area that you naturally are passionate about but you've got the right people uh, around you, uh, yep. you know, Simon and other professionals, to actually give you advice in that area, help you in that area and do it. And I think that's one of the main things we have to recognise is that we can't be the master of every field. That's right. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and it's great to see someone who is as successful as you are actually saying that's not an area that I am passionate about, do you know what I mean? So I get the right people to to come around me and help me.
2: Get the right people to come around me and help me and also to be open to not having my head in the sand about it. Yeah. Like to really, and I have to say that about five years ago when I realised that... Um, I didn't really fully understand the financial implications of my business. Mm. Um, It was when I sort of woke up and thought, right, I need to get better at asking questions and I need to lean into the discomfort of, of," yeah, that was when after that the business took another steep growth point.
0: Yes, because you're willing to actually look at it properly rather than blame or say this isn't working or it was COVID or whatever else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now you've authored a book already or books already. Yes. But we do always ask uh, all of our guests here, if you were going to write another book for you, what would the title of it be? What would it be about?
2: Well, we haven't actually covered that within my journey I am a breast cancer survivor. Yes. So... Sixteen years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, mm-hmm. and it was a pretty nasty bout of breast cancer. So mm-hmm. I actually ended up having a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. um, and a whole barrage of pretty horrible treatment. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was another journey that definitely has contributed to who I am today. Mm-hmm. And so. there's always been another book Mm. and there potentially will be a book and the title has always been The Breast Is Yet To Come.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because (laughs) It's great. Don't tell me that you're going to have that title. You can't (laughs) have that title. No, no, no. Tracy can have that. You can't have that. (laughs) It's just one of of my favourite sayings is the story isn't finished yet.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's Hamish's title for his book. Is this the, you know, the story isn't finished yet? Yeah,
2: so yeah. yeah, so I believe that, like, I am 53 and I believe that there are way more adventures mm. to come, mm. and the journey isn't finished yet. Mm. Um, and yeah, the breast mm. is yet to come.
1: Fantastic. So I'm going to say I think you've got 15 years rather than 10 years left. Do you reckon? Yeah. No. I'm,
2: I was talking from Simon's perspective because we've been talking about his <laughs> retirement <there laughs> a, a lot lately. <laughs> and I've got to remember that I am 53 even though he's 60 because yeah. sometimes I tend to... Get dragged mm-hmm. along with the older folk. And That's go, right. Wait, you You're young. I've got 15. Amy said I've got 15. <laughs> Even though you've only got
1: 10, I've got 15. I can see a season where you're dragging Simon along. Right? Yeah. So you know. Yeah. 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 And and if he complains, just say lean into lean the
2: lean into the discomfort.
0: <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming along. We really appreciate uh, you coming and sharing with us. And um, it's been great to have you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank yeah, you. Great. Well, thank you all for listening in. Um, that's been another episode for Help My Wealth, Money Rules or Money Rules. Uh, it's been great having Tracy share with us um, from her experience and we hope that you've enjoyed it. And we'll see you all again next time. Thank you and bye for now. See you later information discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules, Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules Podcasts acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging Elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.